Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Beyond the Headline podcast by the Bay Area News Group. I'm Robert Salonga, crime and public safety reporter with the Mercury News. And with me is Matthias Gaffney, investigative reporter with the East Bay Times. Matthias, hello. Hey there. Excited to get this podcast starting. So the goal of this podcast is to address accountability and transparency issues, both in the news and in the newsroom. We're talking about the stories that we cover and the stories behind the stories that we cover. Matthias and I have a long uh, range of experience in crime and criminal justice issues, but we want the podcast to cover a wide range of subjects and topics and issues that are covered by the Bay Area News Group. And if so, it won't just be us talking. It will be us bringing in our colleagues who are experts in their respective fields, whether it is in health or business or public policy. So to start with, Matthias, why don't you give us a quick introduction of who you are and uh, how you got here? Absolutely. Well, I went to school in uh, UC Davis and I was on the student newspaper and I kind of have a background in sports reporting of all things. Um, and uh, once I graduated from college, though, I got my first job at the Vallejo Times-Herald. And when I was at that paper, I covered a number of beats, but um, uh, a lot of a lot of my kind of your nuts and bolts of your ground ground floor reporting are often your first job is on the crime crime beat. So you're carrying around a police scanner and um, covering crimes and. And eventually you wind up in the courtroom where those crimes um, wind up as they get charged. And so I spent a lot of time uh, covering trials and um, dealing with court documents. And and um, then I came on to uh, what was the Contra Costa Times, is now the East Bay Times, and then to the Bay Area News Group. And I my first job here was covering crime out in the Antioch Bureau in East Contra Costa County, where there's no shortage of um, stories to cover. And from there, I've become the, an investigative reporter, and I still find myself kind of dealing um, with crime and in the courtroom and dealing with court documents a lot because, you know, when you're dealing with investigations and when you're dealing with corruption and stuff like that, that oftentimes um, involves crime and, and people doing wrong things. Um, and in just in general, um, I, I, I find it really compelling um, stuff that happens in court, um, particularly, uh, there's a lot of, um, you walk into a courtroom for the most of, um, the listeners probably, you know, you have a traffic ticket every once in a while and you may find yourself in court, but if you ever sit in a actual criminal courtroom, um, it's pretty fascinating and you find people on both sides of, um, the victims and, um, the defendants, uh, in their most vulnerable states and um, talking about um, what could be the worst moments of their lives and seeing that play out is pretty fascinating. Um, so I've always been compelled by and intrigued by um, this type of uh, news work. And, and I know um, Rob, you have a big, big past as well on, on these topics. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you are a Bay Area native North Bay. Is that right? Yeah, I grew up in Marin County and, and spent my whole life in the Bay Area and went to college just outside the Bay Area. But now I've, I've, I'm back in the Bay Area and, and I'm a lifer. 
And so that we have a north-south kind of thing going on here because I uh, I am a native of the South Bay, born and raised in East San Jose. I grew up in San Jose. I went to UCLA for my undergrad, uh, worked for the new college newspaper down there. Then I went to the University of Maryland College Park in the Washington, D.C. area where I got a master's degree in journalism. I started out not as a crime reporter. I started out as a defense and congressional reporter out in D.C., and then after a couple of winters and particularly a couple of summers, I decided to come back to the Bay because you get spoiled until you live somewhere else when it comes to that kind of thing. <laughs> and my first job in Cal- back in California was at the Salinas Californian. I actually co- there I covered schools K through 12 or K through 16 because I covered college too. And then uh, also covered city hall, city government, um, you know, in Monterey County. But for the most part, if you were a warm body down in Salinas and some crime stuff happened um, and you're in the newsroom and the scanner's going off, you went out. And so that was my first taste. And this was circa mid 2000s. Then I got a job at the then Contra Costa Times um, where I was an online reporter and a crime beat job opened up because of a wave of uh, buyouts and layoffs. And that's actually where I met Matias. Uh, we joined the Bay Area News Group roughly about the same time, 2007. And um, after five or six years there, I uh, came down to the Mercury News uh, where I covered crime and public safety uh, down here. And uh, just for full disclosure, uh, I used to work for Matias. Uh, it was a wondrous that was time. The best time of my life. Oh, it was. <laughs> Couldn't beat it. Love Couldn't bossing beat it. you around. I miss that. Yeah, the, the pod may give you a new opportunity to do that. For 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 all we know. Um, <laughs> so just to get into what we've been working on lately, I just finished a story that ran uh, today. Today's Friday, uh, and has been online about a human trafficking sting in the city of Santa Clara, where the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Office, the FBI, and Homeland Security. The, essentially conducted an undercover sting where they either online posed as um, Johns uh, would, would be the verbiage or the the, the term, um, or they would pose as um, uh, sex workers. And this the point of the operation was to root out human trafficking, not necessarily to just crack down on prostitution. It was more seeking uh, people who are being exploited, either forced into it or who are underage. And so we're going to cut to some audio from Sergeant Curtis Stendrup, who ran the operation for the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Office um, this week. Uh, Tonight, what we're doing is we're doing a sex trafficking sting. We're using the acts of prostitution. So what we're doing tonight is we are calling ads online uh, for uh, females posting as uh, escorts or prostitutes uh, and bring them to our location but as well we posted ads as an undercover uh, officer has posted female ads uh, on websites uh, posing as someone who's offering uh, prostitute services or escort services and we're having johns come here so two things we're doing is we're trying to find the actual victims of human trafficking we're also trying to fight the demand we're trying to push back and really show that we have zero tolerance for And so over the course of that operation, a lot of people were brought in. Most of them weren't um, weren't, uh, victims or uh, participants in human trafficking, but they did find uh, two people. Uh, One was a 16-year-old girl 
who responded to an ad. And in the ensuing investigation, uh, after finding out that she was 16, they were actually able to track down and arrest the person they believe was her pimp. Um, so that was that was a, a nice win for the uh, for the operation. They also um, g- encountered someone who was 18, so not underage. But after telling her story, it became clear to the investigators that she was being uh, forced into into sex work. Uh, she had someone that she uh, described as her boyfriend, but as she explained more and more, as far as you know. Uh, where who her money was going to and the fact that they're quote unquote other girls uh, led investigators to believe that she uh, was working for someone operating as a pimp. Uh, so the main goal of uh, the operation and operations like that, it's part of a two year old human trafficking task force in Santa Clara County. Um, is to not only identify victims of exploitation, but for those uh, who are over 18 but are still being exploited, to get them in touch with counseling and health resources um, to get them out of that life or get them out of that um, you know that situation, um, if if at all possible. Um, so that work the per, the 18 year old. Uh, seemed pretty seemed pretty receptive after she spoke with a female detective and some uh, female uh, wellness advocates. Um, it, these types of operations are pretty. Um, I don't know if they're they're controversial, but they're definitely two schools of thought in terms of how effective they are at combating human trafficking. Um, you know, the idea being that there are, there are a lot of these types of operations during the Super Bowl uh, when it came to the Bay Area earlier in February, and they essentially comprise of you know kind of uh, you know people or uh, detectives posing as um, either again uh, buyers or sellers of of sex work, and um, you know. Figuring out from there, what happens is that they cast a pretty wide net because they don't know who they're dealing with, and they only find out after they've brought the people in to question them about whether there's any exploitation happening. And so, because of that wide net, it ensnares a lot of people who are either buying sex, which is ultimately a misdemeanor, misdemeanor prostitution, or selling it. And if they can show that they're not being forced to do it, well, then again, it's a misdemeanor. Um, offense. Uh, the penal code actually doesn't distinguish between, between gender uh, for as far as prostitution goes. Whether you're buying or selling, it's the same misdemeanor offense. And so, because of that, um, there there are an array of uh, sex worker advocates who question how effective. Uh, this is. They believe that you know if you decriminalize prostitution, it'll actually increase reporting of. Um, of of abuses and exploitation because they won't have that loom of arrest. It's almost a, akin to, you know, if you if you wanted it by by virtue of communities, immigrant communities, um, police departments typically don't ask about immigration status because they they want people to report the crime. They don't want people to stop reporting crime in their communities because they're afraid of, uh, you know, deportation or anything along those lines. And in the same method, you know, you have uh, people who are being exploited in the sex trade who are afraid that if they report, 
you know, real bad stuff that they'll still get, um, you know, busted because they're technically uh, breaking the law. So that that's the argument for decriminalization, uh, generally speaking. Also with the fact that, um, you know, the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Office, uh, they told me that they use their discretion. They have the discretion to arrest or cite. Uh, they don't have to. You know, if they, what they tell me is their goal is to you know, they're vetting, they're trying to suss out human trafficking. So the, the, it, for them, it's worth their time to kick people loose when they're just kind of participating in the conventional sex trade, uh, unless, you know, some sort of other crimes are happening. That prostitution in and of themselves is not, in of itself is not their focus. It's finding victims of human trafficking. So they use that discretion. And that's kind of their argument for, you know, why these, why these, uh, operations are effective. But on the flip side, for the advocates of sex workers, they argue that people can't take that on faith. People in the sex trade who might be exploited or might be witnessing crimes within the trade uh, can't rely that the one officer they're going to run into is going to be the one that uses that discretion for good instead of possibly bad, which appears to be the case in the East Bay sex scandal that's been going on for uh, you know, since the for most for a good chunk of the year um, that uh, Matias has been covering for the East Bay Times, and so with that, I want to hear your thoughts on uh, w- what that case has highlighted or revealed uh, from your vantage point. Yeah, it's it's been um, just a, a crazy story um, that's had so many twists and turns, and and it, frankly, it's kind of made me think about just my coverage over the years of. Um, this issue. I mean, I've seen just like a, a real big shift. Um, and frankly, there's been a shift in the whole new sex trafficking laws that are in California. Um, but I mean, when I was working at the Vallejo paper just out of college, I remember going on like prostitution things with um, the police. And I mean, the target was completely um, uh, the sex worker at that time. And they would arrest as many as they could. They would get charged. There was no idea of, you know, getting them treatment. There was no focus on the Johns as much. As much. Um, I've seen a real change in that um, to where now um, it is focused on um, the ones looking um, uh, to uh, uh, to solicit and and trying to find uh, services. Um, at the same time, we have the. Um, uh, Celeste Guap um, situation in Oakland where um, sex workers would say that this is what they encounter and I, you know, I worked on a story about trying to reach out to sex workers and find out what the relationships are with police and oftentimes it is very adversarial um, the ones I spoke to said um, you know this where, where you have these officers who are abusing that trust it, it just ruins it for the entire um, population of sex workers where they, they already limited trust because, you know, whenever they're encountering them, they, they are under threat of being possibly arrested. And when, when, even if money's not exchanging hands, um, when an officer has sex with a prostitute, um, they would argue that there is still the, um, 
the fact that they're not arresting them is is a, a form of payment. And that's frankly actually how they're probably getting charged at this time by the DA's office in Alameda County is, you know, there doesn't seem to be money changing hands in this situation, but um, there's exchange of information. There's just the simple fact that they're not arresting these prostitutes um, uh, uh, that can also um, justify uh, prostitution charges, they'd argue. And, and frankly, there's this, this issue, and I, I went to a trafficking conference once, and um, they, this uh, one speaker brought up the issue of how it's wrong that there is an actual prostitution can be a crime for children. So under the age of 18, um, they could be technically charged with a crime for um, prostituting themselves. And she argued that, you know, if money hadn't changed hands between the John and, and that underage um, girl, then that would have been a molestation. You know, um, it would have been an adult um, having sex with a minor. And that would be a crime on the other side, and they would be a victim. And so why is just the fact that they've given handed over a $20 bill, why does that change anything? Right, and just and before then, you continue, I just want to bring mm-hmm. up the fact that uh, uh, actually Governor Jerry Brown just signed a bill that would eliminate yes. uh, child prostitution as being a, a crime in the sense that if, you're, if you are an underage prostitute, you cannot be arrested for prostitution now. Yeah. The, 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 the result would now be uh, like in the sting I was in this past week, bring, getting you into counseling, uh, getting you services, getting you out of out of out of the life. Uh, but you know the um, actual penalty for uh, prostitution for underage, um, you know, sex workers is virtually been um, kind of written out of law because because of exactly what you're talking about. And it's uh, it's, it's worth noting that um, the the opponents to that. Um, who want the criminalization argue that oftentimes to get these girls off the street, they need to put them in jail. They need to not just offer services that are voluntary. They need to physically take them out of the, their pimp's control and get them off the street. And so they make that argument that it's, um, you know, while they don't want to criminalize it, it often is a tool that they can use to get them out of that life. And I mean, I just remember, being in the courtroom once um, for a pimp trial, and I was sitting in the in the, the hallway of the courtroom, and, and this um, uh, younger woman rolls uh, a baby carriage up and sits next to me on the on the, the bench uh, before the uh, the um, the hearing was supposed to start, and uh, she's got a baby there with her, and then the, another individual comes in, and they're clearly a couple, and. They're talking just like any normal couple. And so bailiff opens the courtroom, um, and then sure enough, we all walk in. And it turns out that the person who was out out of custody, the the pimp, was that um, boyfriend. And he was the one on trial for for pimping charges and also for um, violence charges against... um, his uh the prostitute who worked for him and sure enough that woman with her baby carriage she was the star witness in that case testifying on behalf of the prosecution against her boyfriend and the uh, prosecutor um told the jurors i have no idea what she's going to say and sure enough um when he started um uh, when she went on the witness stand to testify, she denied everything. She said they love each other. 
Um, she says you would never do that. The prosecutor would present all the evidence that they had and all, all the stuff she immediately told police right afterwards. She still denied it. Um, in the end, he wound up getting convicted, but I think it, it just um, illustrates how deep and how how difficult um, it is on for some people. And, and there are is the other side of the sex workers who would argue that this is that their chosen profession, they're adults, and they, they want to make these choices. But when you're talking about um, people who have been brought into life often underage, um, it is a very difficult life to get out of. Yeah, and that's something I ran into a couple nights ago when I was embedded on this sting. Uh, the idea that you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion because this per, this per, this person who is now 18 was brought into it, uh, you know, not that long ago. But the way she was explaining it, she she kept saying something to the effect of, you know, I know I have a choice. Well, I have a choice, but the choice I have are the choices I have aren't the ones I want to make. I mean, there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of uncertainty there. I think that uh, the goal of the bill that you know essentially decriminalized underage uh, prostitution is the idea of getting them to come forward and lifting that fear, that disincentive of possible arrest. And so, I it clearly can work. Uh, you know, kind of in both ways, but I think that was the that was the intent there. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky, it's a really tricky issue, and um, and I've, de- I've dealt with a lot of stories um, dealing with um, sex abuse and minors um, who are dealing with sex abuse, and and it's just incredibly complicated um, with um, especially a lot of these these girls who are find themselves in these situations often are coming from foster care. Um, they don't have a very much of a, a supporting, um, network. Um, and it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, they, they, I've, I've reported on these, um, these agencies that try to help them and they, they take them into these secluded places where they can try to get their lives back together and, um, with, um, varying degrees of success and, and and going back to um, this latest issue in Oakland and with the um, Celeste Guap story, a lot of the advocates are concerned that um, that story that's gotten so much publicity is just going to make it all the more difficult for um, those girls to come forward and get that help um, because of the trust issue. Right. And it'll be interesting to see um, where that goes. And the Celeste Guap case is to me, emblematic of a broader and more intense scrutiny on police departments across the country, uh, going back to you know the, the, what we consider the pre and post Ferguson uh, flashpoint uh, as far as you know national scrutiny on uh, police um, on police transparency transparency uh, police accountability. Uh, it seems to me that there's been a paradigm shift in terms of how this uh, how these kinds of issues get covered, um, alleged police abuses and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, wh- where where, do you, where are your thoughts on how that's shifted? Oh, it's been a dramatic shift. Um, just from a, from my own personal perspective, journalism perspective. I mean, I remember, you know, we've all reported on on. Um, uh, police shootings over the years, and I just remember the past. It would, it would. You'd get a press release, and they would describe it in, in maybe not too great detail. Um, there would be somewhat scrutiny um, involved in it, but 
there wouldn't be anywhere near um, the scrutiny um, that it gets now. And I think, to be honest, it's just kind of the day and age in, that we're living in, and particularly with the technology, um, where you have video of, you know, not just officer dash cam video and not just um, the kind of um, body cam footage that we're starting to get, um, but you have the private citizen video, which I really think has made a huge difference where you have, you know, everyone's got a camera, everyone's got a phone with a camera. And, and so when these incidents start, they really happen, you know, with a snap of a finger. Usually there's someone gets pulled over and it's a slow, um, slow boil to where it reaches a point where um, someone may be shooting. So, you know, a school bus passes by and everyone pulls their phones out as they see stuff progressing. And then, and then you, you have a, um, situation where you have um, 18 different versions, video angles of of a of a police shooting, and and you see that it's a lot more nuanced than any press release can really describe on both sides. And I just think that is a window into these shootings and um, uh, police activities that we never had before. That's really just changed everything. Yeah, I mean, the the immediacy of the counterfactuals, it, I think, is, has shifted so much because, like you said before, uh, we all we'd have is the police account and maybe some witnesses. Uh, but, you know, essentially it's secondhand information. It's eyewitness information, which tends to be uh, unreliable in g- generally, especially when it gets to the point where um, it's it's brought into court. But you have these videos that really uh, show that that uh, that other angle, that other dimension, uh, pretty quickly, and so I think police departments are slowly but eventually getting hip to the idea that you know they can't just get uh, expect the benefit of the doubt anymore because because so many we have we've had so many instances uh, across the country where um, you know one account one official account was given and you know someone puts out a, a video and it completely contradicts it uh, we've had some instances locally that have uh, done that to, to the same effect um, and it it seems like we're in a new era I think everyone, expects whether they like it or not i think everyone expects um clarity to come out faster um regardless of how where in the stage uh an investigation is it just seems like that's the that's the way of the world now um and it happened a very in a very short time um so this has been a glimpse of the kind of conversation we want to have regularly on the Beyond the Headline podcast and while Matthias and I specialize in criminal justice we hope to address the whole swath of issues topics and subjects that are covered by the Bay Area News Group and accordingly we'll be pulling in our colleagues in the newsroom and our colleagues in the journalism field and experts in the subject fields that we talk about So we also would like your suggestions on subjects and topics you'd like to hear about, whether it's an obscure mechanism in criminal justice or a question you've had about a topic we cover at the in the newsroom or how parts of media work, why certain things are presented the way they are. So to reach us on Twitter, I am at Robert Salaga and Matias is at M Gaffney. So uh, with that, Matias, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, We'll be doing this uh, periodically and as news warrants. And I appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. All right. This should be fun. Thanks.